This Hartford Current podcast is presented by the Hartford Law Firm of Ruskassian Davis. Welcome to the Yukon Insider podcast sponsored by Riz Cassie and Davis. I'm Trey Slaughter, the Hartford Current's uh, Yukon men's basketball writer. And of course, here with Alexa Blipu, the Yukon women's basketball writer. What the hell is going on with the women's? It's like since we last talked, just so much has happened. It seems like the sky is falling. Please give me the insight on everything, Alexa. What's going on? Man, yeah, no, I mean, it's funny because like two weeks ago, like things were like, okay, like they're going to be okay. You know, like they got some stuff to figure out. I think at that point we knew AZ FUD was hurt. And then, yeah, in the last two weeks, it's been like, oh my God, like this team is just like, (laughs) there's some bad stuff, bad juju, bad vibes going on. Um, But yeah, so basically what happened is you have a bunch of injuries and then problems that existed before the injuries, you know, were exacerbated. So um, it's made for a very interesting few weeks on the job. And obviously we're recording this on Wednesday. And yesterday we found out that Paige Beckers underwent surgery. Um, Initially the school said her injury was a tibial plateau fracture. Apparently there was also um, a lateral meniscus tear um, that happened at the time of her knee injury. And I'm assuming that was something that they figured out with further tests or maybe even figured out in surgery. Although we'll have to ask, ask Gino about that specifically next time we talk with him. But that was a new element to what's happening. They said, you know, her recovery will take eight weeks from uh, the day of the surgery, which was Monday. But we also don't know if that means can she return to the court in eight weeks or is that just like she's going to be rehabbing after that? So there's a lot of questions about that. And that's obviously the most pressing issue. but. In my mind, I think it's also a huge deal that they don't have their backup point guard, Nico Mule. Um, they've had, you know, players have to play out of position um, to make up for that. And then they're missing AZ Fudd still, who, um, you know, is one of their best perimeter shooters, if not the best. Then Aubrey Griffin's still out. She hasn't made her season debut and she's still dealing with back issues. So, um, yeah, so all that made for a really, you know, they were down to, eight players on, you know, that were even available uh, against Georgia Tech. And they didn't really have much practice time to figure out how they could operate without Paige. And so, and Georgia Tech was a really good defensive team. So it didn't shock me um, what happened and that they lost. But uh, I do think there were signs of progress um, in the UCLA game. They looked so much better basically for, you know, like towards the end of the second quarter on um, that I think that was pretty confidence instilling, but I mean, there's still major questions with this team. And now we know that they're going to be without page backers for the rest of their non-conference play. And we'll have to see when AZ and Nika and Aubrey can get back. But I don't know. There was this, uh, there's, and we've only talked with Dorka Juhas, um, of the players since all this kind of went down. So it's hard to get a, a sense of how the players are dealing with all this. I mean, we did talk with, um, did we talk with players? I think we might've talked with players oh we talked with players before it was announced that Nika was hurt and so since then we've only talked with Dorka um but yeah the Gino seemed very kind of had this mood of like defeat is on like the problems aren't going to get solved like they're unfixable and I can't develop players anymore and it was a very odd kind of turn of events um or just mood that was coming out of you know a very understandable loss but they did they did not look good against Georgia Tech and they didn't look good the first little bit against UCLA, but they did look a lot better. There was actual signs of improvement. So um, I'm not really sure how to 
grapple with all that. That's a lot to unpack. I think I just like <laughs> was spewing stuff for 10 minutes right there, just trying to process even what happened in the last two weeks. But um, to me, as someone who I think just in general in life wants to believe in the optimistic side of things, I think there were signs um, of improvement in the UCLA game. And at the end of the day, they're just going to have to figure things out with that page. And, you know, eventually they'll get these, some of these other players back and that'll help. But um, there's just no choice in the matter. So you have, you know, you have two options, like you're going to give up or you're going to try and figure out how to make it work. And so that's kind of where they're at now. And um, I think they, you know, they're going to try and have to make it work because that's the reality for at least the next eight weeks. I mean, honestly, it's it's a lot you said, but I mean, there's been so much that's happened this week since the last talk, especially on the women's side. I mean, like, you're right. I mean, like, they they don't have any other options. Like, they either have to, you know, kind of shut up or not up. Like, I mean, this is UConn women's basketball. The expectations are sky high. I mean, you know, I was looking at your mentions, which I probably shouldn't have done um, after they lost. Oh, my God. They, it, it was just a tough, tough read for anybody. And, and I, I feel for you and every other women's writer who has to deal with that. Um, because I think just the reality of it is UConn fans have been a little spoiled from the women's side, especially. And, you know, when they lose, you know, they think this is, you know, sky's falling, nothing's going right. And, you know, there's talk about Gina retiring, there's this and that, like he's, he lost his step, you know. Um, it just kind of speaks to the magnitude of how big of a platform the women's have and how big of a platform and expectations they have. Uh, and you're right, I think 100%, like, this is, in, in a sense, I think it could be good for them. I mean, you know, obviously you don't want to lose Paige to this much time, but like they were, you know, when we Paige played, I mean, from what I saw, it was like the Paige show and everybody else was just kind of, you know, figuring it out. Like they were not great um, on the court with Paige, uh, everybody else, you know, like I think the, the roles weren't kind of quite distinguished. This eight weeks and hopefully she comes back sooner, um, you know, we'll give them the opportunity to kind of figure out offensive roles, kind of figure out who can kind of take over when Paige isn't there on the court. Um, I think, it, you know, with people coming back from injury, I think it'll be a great opportunity for UConn women's to kind of, you know, they could be a really dangerous team. If Paige comes back by tournament time, you know, like you're looking at a team that could be ranked, you know, four or five seed in March. And then, you know, Paige is back. And in reality, they're like probably a top three seed, you know, with Paige, probably better than that, really. Um, but I think it's, it's kind of, like you said, being optimistic, I think could be a blessing to disguise. Maybe it's just because of what I've seen from the men's side in a couple of games with injuries and how they've reacted, you know, I have faith, but I mean, like, you're right. The, the UCLA game, the first, oh man, the first quarter was rough. It was, it was hard to watch. Um, it was, it was, what was your Celtics of, comparison at the time again? Yes. I said, I said, Paige Bukers plays the, uh, the Jason Tatum role where she makes something out of nothing like he does. And then everybody else is just sitting there with like headless chickens almost. It feels like has no idea what to do on the court. Um, and it's just ugly, ugly offense um, to watch. And I think they kind of settled down as, as the game went along. And, you know, I think they, they defended well and they didn't keep giving up open three-pointers to the same player every single time, which I think was awesome. Um, and, and, you know, I think the UConn women's team has to feel good coming off a win, you know, missing quality players. Obviously, it seems like, um, you know, one critique I can give, I mean, as not following the team as much, I feel like Gino doesn't go deep enough in his rotations. I mean, we have had two girls transfer already because they were, you know, I think they were promised playing time or maybe they were just not getting enough playing time because they didn't trust them to the court. Um, and, and I think those players could have been something that could be, you know, we'll see how they are on other respective teams or whatever, but I think it'd be um, interesting to see if they end up 
playing pivotal minutes for another program. And, it, you know, then you're like sitting there waiting, like, okay, what they could have done that UConn with all the injuries and stuff like that. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested to see, you know, like what your kind of overall thoughts are and like, you know, the team is the sky following is, is it not, is it, you know, what is the, give me the, the harsh or realistic sentiment of what the UConn women's fans should expect. So I'm not, okay. My take on the depth is that if everyone were healthy on this team, they would be playing like eight or nine deep probably. Cause they would have Dorka. Well, I guess Dorka started. Okay. Well, let's think about how it started the season. They had Dorka, uh, Nika, AZ and Caroline coming off the bench. Um, so that's nine deep. So I don't really think it's depth. That's the issue. Although earlier in the season, that group wasn't always super productive. So whenever you have four, I think just four players being out due to injuries is like pretty significant. And for any team, you're really going to be cutting to the depth. So I don't, I mean, you're always going to have that like nine, 10, 11, 12 players on your roster who probably aren't going to be either ready or maybe going to be like huge contributors. So like, I don't think what's happening now is a reflection of lack of depth. I think what's happening now is a reflection of like players not playing up to how they have played historically. Like I think Kristen Williams, I mean, she looked like she was just mentally in a different place. And, you know, obviously I hope is she like turned it around in the second half and like, you never want to see someone like, I actually think Gino said this on Bob Joyce's radio show yesterday that like, it's always just her being in her head. Like we've seen Kristen Williams, you know, be like a completely dominant two-way player in the NCAA tournament. And so we've seen that she can do that. And Gino just wants her to be like that, you know, consistently. So and then Avina, he actually said um, Avina played maybe one of the best games of the season or of her UConn career against UCLA, especially the way she was able to help actually like basically was the entire offense early on. So if you can get Avina and Kristen and Olivia and also Leah Edwards, who seems like she's been struggling really all season besides maybe that Seton Hall game, if they play like they've shown they're capable of playing then I don't think we have all these issues. Then I don't think anyone's, you know, asking about depth issues or whatever. To me, the bigger issue is why are these players not being able to play consistently, like how they've shown they're capable of playing. And I have no idea exactly how much you can blame coaching on that or players on that. Like obviously Gino had this line on um, Thursday where he said something along the lines of like, we used to be able to develop players and now we can't anymore. And I don't know if that was a spur of the moment thing, but like, maybe there is something to that. We'll have to see. I don't know if maybe one game or one even recruiting class can perfectly encapsulate whether or not that's accurate, but it was very interesting just to hear him actually articulate that. So that's my kind of pushback against the depth issue. Um, But here's the thing. When these players come back, Caroline's going to be in a much better spot. Dorka will be in a much better spot um, because they've had to play more minutes. So I think Caroline might be one of the players that's going to benefit the most from this sort of issue right now with the backcourt being so thin. Um, But again, how is everyone else going to fit around them? How are their roles going to shift as players get back? That's all to be figured out. Okay, sorry. That was the answer to one of your questions. To, uh, To answer the question about expectations, I almost feel like, Right now, it's going to be incredibly difficult, but like UConn fans and maybe even um, maybe even this, the team itself, like they almost have to like 
be process and not results oriented, which I feel like generally they try to say that, but like they really need to do that now. So if they lose to Louisville, if they lose a Big East game, people can like freak out about that. But I feel like the most important thing is that this UConn team actually looks like it's getting better. So to me, the UCLA game was a step in the right direction. They did look better. Um, Are they going to look better against Louisville? I don't know. Are they going to look defeated? Are they going to look like they can't figure things out on offense? Maybe that might still be the case because they don't have a true point guard on the floor. But once Nika comes back, are we seeing that growth? If assuming Paige can get back in February um, and assuming she's able to do even honestly like 60, 70% of what she was doing, you know, before the injury, like this team can still try, you know, can still say it wants to try and and get to the final four and win a national title. But I almost feel like we're going to have to almost be a little less like results oriented um, and just really focus on like what areas of improvement are we seeing individually and as a team, because that is what at the end of the day is going to make a determination of how far they can go in the postseason, Uh, assuming obviously that they don't like lose all these games and like don't make the tournament, but I don't think we're in that territory. And I do think things will get better as players come back. And so I'm closely going to be monitoring the health of AZ Fudd and of Nika Mule and of Aubrey Griffin and obviously a page. So that's it. When exactly she comes back and what she looks like, that's not, that's a little fluid. It sounds like. So those are my very long answers to your questions. No, no, no. That's, that's great insight. I mean, I think it's really interesting. You know, you said, just everyone finding out their role and figuring out who they are um, in the long term is, I think, just going to benefit them. Like as as they go on, like I, I objectively speaking, like I mean, you know, somebody who's watched the last couple of games and got to see them firsthand, I, I think they're going to be okay. I think it's you know, like you said, expectations need to be shifted with Paige out. You know, they need to fans and coaching and every, even players need to realize like there's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some issues because you know when you're so oriented around this player who's a superstar who's you know people would say the best player in CLA women's side, you know, like all that stuff. And she gets out, like, obviously, arguably, you're going to be worse, right? But this is an opportunity for other people to step up. This is an opportunity for them to get a little fully healthy outside of Paige. And this is an opportunity for, you know, you know, people to emerge. I mean, like, they get these deep recruiting classes. They always do a great job of recruiting because it's UConn women's. They have that prestige. And now is an opportunity to showcase the talent reserve they have on the bench, the talent reserve they have among the other starters. And I think it would be um, you know, I think it's going to be beneficial for them in the long run. I'm like, I really do think, you know, I, I maybe on the optimistic side of things, like you said, but with every injury opportunity in both men or women's side, it's an opportunity for people to step up. It's an opportunity for the team to figure out who they are without their star players. It's an opportunity for uh, players who, you know, maybe were lacking confidence on, on some ends to kind of get more in tune with things. And I think that itself is going to be a really interesting storyline to watch because, Maybe this team isn't the one seed going into the tournament, but you know, if Paige is fully healthy and you know they they're getting more in tune game in, game out, even if the results aren't quite what people expected coming to the season, I think they could be in better shape than they were to start the season because of this opportunity with all these injuries. I, I mean, it'll be absolutely fascinating because again, when you if you're reinserting Paige back into the lineup down the line, that also might have some growing pains too. Because like say, Avina or AZ or Nika or Kristen is, is used to this particular role, like a different role, then you're gonna have to reinsert Paige and then things kind of shift back into, you know, equilibrium a little bit. So that's, again, that might, I don't think that would necessarily result in like a loss per se, but like that's gonna also 
be an interesting experiment, but um, I don't know. I just, I, I think like kind of what you said, assuming AZ fight can come back soon and we'll be good to go. This actually could end up my like hot take is that Paige being out might be the bet. Not, okay. That sounds bad, but like, it could be a great silver lining for the team. Cause I think AZ is going to be forced to step up. And I don't think, I mean, obviously she's not going to be a primary ball handler or facilitator, but she's going to have to help on offense. And so I think that's going to be huge for her in a similar kind of way, what we saw Caroline do. Caroline had to play to all these minutes all of a sudden. And honestly, she looks so much better even against um, UCLA compared to how we saw her in the first few games of the season. Um, so, I, and Dorka, you know, Dorka, I don't know, would be getting all this time if it weren't for her, but again, um, those players are, are showing growth, but I think it's still, I always go back to kind of the senior leaders. So I think Olivia kind of is in a good spot, um, but I want to see more from Kristen in particular. I don't know if this team, even with Paige, can really get to where it wants to go if Kristen isn't kind of how she was at the end of last season. So um, we've seen kind of the mental highs and lows. And so maybe this is just so low that she has to ride out and then she'll be in a good place later on. Um, but I think if Avina too can, can continue to be kind of as good as she's been some of the high points this season, um, that's going to really help this team a lot. So, um, I don't know. I just think it's this real, really uncomfortable space for the team, for Gino, for the, for the fans. But I mean, you just have to kind of, I mean, it's just, again, it's like, what else are you going to do at this point? You're going to keep playing games, you know, like you got to keep fighting to, to win. Um, and to, you know, just because also you lost one team to, to, well, they lost to South Carolina, but they lost to Georgia tech, like Stanford lost to Colorado last, last year. I don't even know if they were injured. I don't think they had major injuries at that point. Um, and they still won the national title. So other teams lose to unranked teams all the time. And only at UConn, I feel like, is it like everyone stop what you're doing and like freak the freak the hell out. Although, I mean, look, they did look bad. I mean, we also can't separate that so I don't know it's a very interesting time though but I think I think I would hope or I would expect maybe that this might be the worst it is because of just like the pure numbers of of injuries and the fact that people should be coming back in theory let's see how that all pans out obviously if there are more setbacks and like Mika and AZ are going to be out longer than expected then that would not be good I think No, no, I mean, exactly. I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how the wind kind of respond, you know, how the fans kind of hopefully temper their expectations because of all these injuries. But, you know, that's a lot to ask out of any fan. Um, they're fanatics, after all. But I, I think, you know, one of the, the questions I had is, like, who do you think there are, you know, players, who is the most interesting player you think to watch in the next couple of weeks with Paige out? Who are, who are like, two or three players you're really keeping an eye on and, you know, UConn women fans should check out? Yeah, I think, I mean, I kind of mentioned it before, but Kristen, um, for all the reasons I just described, and then Aaliyah Edwards in the sense of, um, I'm just not, I'm not really sure what's going on there. Um, I mean, it just looks like, almost like she has the yips. And I mean, I don't know how much of that is mental or physical or or whatever. Um, I'm not worried about her long-term because of, we know what kind of player she is, but um, I mean, it's, it's kind of, t- it was kind of tough to watch at certain points and, you know, you feel for the kids. So for both of them, actually, cause both, it felt like we're kind of in their heads in that sense. So those are the two I'm looking to see how they turn things around. Cause I feel like we've seen Avina do her thing. We've seen Dorica take a good step. We've seen Caroline take a good step. Um, we've seen Liv have really great moments. Those are the two, I think 
I, I want to continue to see that like positive sign for them of like, okay, they're here, they're good, they're going to turn this corner. But Gino had this line about a uh, consistency the other day where he said like, you know, like I, I can't assume that what I see one day is going to happen the next day, basically, or the next game. So just because like Dorka had a double double on Saturday doesn't mean she's going to have one or even, you know, in his mind, maybe she even is, could go scoreless like the next game. But if all of the players can kind of embrace that consistency role, I think that will be huge because to be honest, I think the most consistent player in this team is usually Paige by a fair amount. And so that needs to improve just regardless of injuries long-term. So that is what I would say for that. I'll be keeping my eye on them. Awesome. Yeah. No, great insight. I'm excited to see how the women do or do not respond on both sides. I mean, it's a lot of fun to watch them play. And, you know, I think it's going to be a fun, fun year. And I'm sure for you on the beat, because I think it's going to be very different than the previous years covering them. You know, it's like, there's not um, as much solidity of like them being this like Titan that they usually are. I think it's going to be an interesting year for you and um, everybody else covering the team. And I think it'll be an interesting one for fans because I think expectations might be shifted a little bit. And now we'll take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This Hartford Current podcast is being brought to you by the Hartford law firm of Riscassi and Davis, Connecticut's nationally recognized personal injury law firm, protecting the rights of the injured for over 60 years. All right, UConn fans, I am beyond thrilled to introduce a new segment to the UConn Insider podcast that I think we're going to hope that we bring, you know, every podcast that we do here on out for the rest of the season. But I don't know what we'll name it. Um, history lessons with putt, history lessons for with Alex. Um, well, we have Alex Petterman, who you all know, it was a former UConn football recorder, a reporter at The Current, um, covered UConn G, you know, general assignment as well. So he was always on here talking UConn stuff. But now he's our COVID reporter and does things on the new side, but always near and dear to his heart, um, our UConn athletics. And we got to talking the other day and Alex sent a text that we think took him 14 minutes to type out as he was trying to give Shreyas, obviously our new men's basketball reporter, uh, a very brief history of the UConn men's basketball team that started in the nineties and, you know, with Ray Allen and all them and, you know, up till today and the kind of forgotten years before things just got back on track. So we thought it would be good to actually do a little segment where Alex teaches Shreyas and, you know, a little bit myself too, because I'm not as well-versed at the men's uh, history side of things. So Alex is going to sit down and teach us a little history of the UConn men's basketball program. And um, you might be a little interactive element with questions, um, maybe some homework later on down the line. So Alex, I'll, I'll give the mic to you to take um, things away from here. I hear you have a very exciting lesson planned for us today. Yes, ma'am. Um, so of course, Shreyas um, knows a lot more about basketball than I do. He knows a lot more about the current UConn uh, basketball team than I do. But what I have on him is having grown up in Connecticut and watched UConn sports. And I, I got all this, this useless uh, trivia in my head. So <laughs> I'm going to try to convey that to our, to our, our new friend here. Um, so today's lesson, our first lesson of this series, is going to be about a team that is very near and dear to my heart, which is the 2008-2009 UConn men's basketball team. So I, I, I was thinking recently, you know, this year's team is very balanced, much more so than, at least when healthy, much more so than other UConn teams in recent years. You know, even the very successful ones have been led by, you know, Akemba, Shabazz, James Booknight. Um, 
UConn hasn't had that kind of balanced team in a little while. So I was thinking, when was the last time that UConn had a team that was really, you know, six, seven, eight deep with, with a lot of options. And, you know, in 2012, they had, uh, you know, Jeremy Lamb and Shabazz and Andre Drummond, but that team was kind of disappointing. It never really clicked. So, eh. so I went back a little bit farther in and I hit on 2009, which was a, a really great UConn team. And I, I just want to, I want to talk a little bit about the 2009 uh, UConn Huskies. What made that team so special was it wasn't just one guy. It wasn't just two guys. It was five or six guys, NBA caliber guys. Point guard, you had A.J. Price, who wound up being a second-round pick and sticking around the NBA. You had Jerome Dyson, who, who had a brief time in the NBA. Stanley Robinson is the three, um, the late Stanley Robinson. Um, a very athletic, very exciting player. He was a second-round pick of the Orlando Magic. I don't think he ever played in the NBA, but he was that kind of a player. Jeff Adrian, who had a brief run in the NBA, a hard-nosed, very physical power forward. And then at center, you had the um, defensive menace, def uh, Big East Defensive Player of the Year, Hashim to be um, obviously a number two overall pick in the NBA that his career didn't exactly work out, but in college, he was unstoppable. That was the starting lineup. You got five NBA caliber players in the starting lineup and coming off the bench, a freshman point guard by the name of Kemba Walker. Uh, so this was a, a really strong team and all through the season, they're ranked in the top five, the top 10, you know, really truly one of the best teams uh, in the league uh, in the country, I should say. Um, and a, a total national championship contender until the pivotal moment in mid-February, uh, Jerome Dyson, the starting shooting guard, uh, one of the team's top scorers, a good shooter, a good ball handler, good defender, hurts his knee out for the season. Brutal. Now, it wasn't fatal for the Huskies. You know, Kemba stepped into the starting lineup uh, for the first time and, and really showed the traits that would eventually make him a, a superstar. Um, however, it took just a little bit out of the Huskies. And so they go forward and, you know, continue to be a, a very successful team. Um, in the Big East tournament, they, they played what you guys might have even remembered from the time, the famous six-overtime game against Syracuse, which uh, UConn did not come out on top in that game. But I think it really showed the, the depth and the passion and the um, will that, that UConn had um, to play six overtimes. You had guys playing, you know, 50-something minutes. Uh, I remember, you know, there's a famous shot of, of Kemba lying on his back, uh, looking up at the Raptors at MSG, just totally gassed from that game. Um, so, you know, tough loss there, but it, it's okay. On to the NCAA tournament um, where they were, I believe, a one seed. Um, going to the NCAA tournament, um, had some tight games, uh, but get through, get through. Um, beat Missouri in the Elite Eight, thanks to a really strong game from Kemba. And then that brings us to the Michigan State game. In the final four, the Huskies lost a close one to Michigan State, um, just didn't come together. That was a really good uh, Spartans team, and UConn lost narrowly in the Final Four. Fun fact, that is actually the only time that the UConn men's basketball team has ever made the Final Four and not won the championship. Now, the reason I think all of this matters in UConn history, this is something you hear often, is that if Jerome Dyson doesn't uh, hurt his knee in February, a lot of UConn fans think that would have been a national championship team. That would have been at the time the third national championship team. Now, I don't want to make any enemies here. Uh, I'm a little skeptical of that. I think uh, North Carolina was absolutely stacked that year with Tyler Hansborough and a bunch of other guys. They were going to be very hard to beat. One of the best college basketball teams of my lifetime. But is it reasonable to think that if Dyson is healthy, UConn can get through Michigan State, get to the championship game, and then, you know, who knows, anything happens? Uh, I think it is. 
Um, so that is sort of what you need to know about the 2009 UConn team, a team that I think uh, the casual fan doesn't know a lot about, but any longtime UConn fan is going to have uh, really fond feelings of. So with that, Alexa and Shreyas, do you have any questions? Uh, I guess my first question is, do you see any parallels player-wise to some of the, the current squad? Um, I know yesterday we had the Twitter spaces. I know Andre Jackson was kind of mentioned as a guy that's similar to um, one of the players you mentioned on that, yep. uh, that team. Uh, is there any other like kind of yeah. parallels? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think you could make kind of a, an RJ Cole, AJ Price uh, kind of comparison. Um, not only because they both uh, have initials as their first name, but they're both kind of uh, like small point guards, not afraid to take big shots. Um, can facilitate, but but also uh, kind of like to get theirs. Uh, leaders on the floor, kind of floor general type. Um, so that's definitely a comparison. You mentioned Andre Jackson and Stanley Robinson, uh, which somebody on your, your Twitter spaces had pointed out. Uh, both kind of high-flying guys who have a lot of potential, and it's just kind of about sort of figuring out where they fit. I think you could make an Isaiah Whaley, Jeff Adrian comparison, um, both on the smaller side as far as post players go, but really tough, um, you know, a lot of energy, really the type of guy you want on your side. Their games are like a little bit different, but I think um, in a basic sense, uh, it works. Um, you could also maybe go whaling to be a great uh, shot blockers. UConn has a great history of shot blocking. So, yeah, I think that would be, those would be my comparisons that jumped to mind. That was a good question. I have a question. Um, so UConn had last won the national title 2004. Um, as you said, this, I think this was their first final four appearance since then they lost and then they wouldn't go on to win again in 2011. So from what you remember, what were, cause I'm always interested to, to kind of go back and at the time, like, what were the fans thinking? Like, what were their expectations, um, for what UConn men's basketball should be at this mm -hmm. time? Was there still this like championship or bust kind of scenario, or is it more so we just have to get back to the final four? especially when there's an injury involved, expectations change. So what do you remember just the feel around the team at the time about, you know, what the fan base was expecting from them? Yeah, this was kind of the apex of UConn basketball where we're not quite every year, but most years they were really a championship caliber team because a few years earlier in 2006, without getting sidetracked, that was a totally stacked team, probably the best team in the country, upset by George Mason in the Elite Eight, a very tough loss. A bunch of guys left, and then this group came in. This is what made the 2009 team uh, very special. All these guys, Price, Robinson, Dyson, uh, Adrian to beat, all came in at the same time, and it was kind of ugly at first when they were all freshmen. It was one of the weaker UConn years of, of my childhood. And then the next year, they kind of improved a little bit, uh, made the NCAA tournament, were a four seed. Um, I forget how that season ended. Just kidding. Inside joke for people who remember how that season ended. Uh, and then you get to 2009 and kind of all came together. So this had been sort of the culmination of like a multi-year process. Um, I don't know that I would say championship or bust, but I think UConn fans knew that this was like a real opportunity um, to, to make something happen. And, and they did, because I don't think anyone is going to, you know, more in a final four appearance. That's a great season. Only on the men's side, women's side, different. Right. right different, right. Uh, different expectations right. there. Um, I have one more question too. How good was Kemba as a freshman? I mean, you said he ha had taken a larger role um, due to injuries, but um, was it apparent at the time that this was someone who could really do some special things um, in the program and then obviously in the NBA? 
Yeah, he was a little bit raw, I would say, as a freshman. Um, he was inconsistent. Um, for you know, uh, throughout the season, he would he would kind of he was that sort of scorer off the bench type um, who would have a big game, but it wasn't it wasn't every single night out there. I think that would kind of come later. Um, but you could tell you could tell he was going to be a great player. I mean, to be a freshman and to be the sixth man on a Final Four team that was a that was a big responsibility. Um, you know, that Missouri game that I mentioned, he really kind of carried the team that was sort of his first shining moment and then if I recall correctly he doesn't um he didn't have uh, quite as good of a game against Michigan State so I would say the potential was there but he he hadn't found that consistency quite yet so honestly what you just said reminds me of a certain player on the squad that I've talked about to death um in Hawkins I mean a lot of that you know the parallels are there and I'm really interested to see because um, Hurley has kind of mentioned how Hawkins has the potential to be, you know, the next great guard um, and uh, in the next in the line of great guards that have come out of UConn with Ray Allen, Kemba Walker and stuff like that. Um, and I'm really interested to see kind of, you know, as he gets more playing time, if he gets to be that Kemba Walker for UConn. And I don't think he'll stay as long as Kemba did, but, um, you know, I think he will be here at least the next another year after this year. All right, well, I think that brings us to our homework assignment. Um, so Shreyas is going to have to fulfill this homework assignment before the next podcast, um, and then maybe he can report back and we'll, we'll do it all again. Um, Shreyas, your homework assignment uh, for today is to watch, I'm going to send you an eight-minute highlight video of the UConn-Syracuse six-overtime <laughs> game. Um, only a six-overtime game would have an eight-minute highlight on sports. Yeah. Um, you're going to need to know that. Even though UConn didn't win, it's a legendary moment in the program. I'm also going to send you the box score. You'll see uh, AJ Price played 61 minutes in that game. Um, you're going to need to study the box score and and really uh, to really appreciate um, appreciate what what that game was all about. Is there going to be a quiz off the box score and uh, the rest of his homework? <laughs> like how many minutes did uh, AJ Price play in the overtime? We will we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Uh, well, thank you guys for having me, and uh, uh, hopefully. Um, history Yukon history with putt can become a can become a recurring segment this was yeah it was a lot of fun i learned a lot and i'm excited to learn more and more about the yukon team and can't wait for yukon fans to start making obscure references that i, I know because of you <laughs> perfect perfect well i think uh, if anyone listening to this wants to share their favorite memory or something that um they still kind of hold dear to their hearts from the 0809 uh season please you know tweet at us maybe we'll bring some of those up in our um, next segment next time we do this and we're reflecting back but definitely let us know um what you kind of remember from that era and we'll have to see what else we uh we are able to unpack in our future segments so alex thank you so much for coming on yeah thanks for coming having me So, Shreyas, we've talked extensively about the women, but let's touch base quickly on the UConn men. Um, it's been an interesting few weeks. They um, have done, I mean, I don't know. I think they've done like pretty well um, dealing without Sonogo and Martin, but it sounds like they might get Martin back for the start of Big East play. So that's obviously huge news. I guess I just wanted to know from you, what do you think we learned about this team through the stretch where they've been missing key players due to injury, assuming, you know, everything goes to plan and we're going to get Martin back the next time that they are on the court. I mean, I think one of the big takeaways that I've taken with this team is this defense is rock solid. Um, Even without Tyrese and Sanogo, they've been really, really impressive on that end. 
um, which I think is, is great. You know, I mean, I think they fell asleep a little bit in some of the uh, mid-major games, the defense slipped, but, you know, against a tough team like West Virginia and then, you know, St. Bonaventure, even though they're missing, you know, one of their uh, key scores or whatever, I think they played some pretty hard-nosed defense um, and have been impressive on that end. Uh, one of the big takeaways I've taken from this, like I, I mentioned the U on the women's side and men's side, they've had some key players step up, step up. you know, a cook, a cook um, kind of had a great three game stretch where he's averaging more points, uh, eight points a game, seven rebounds and almost two and a half blocks a game, which I think is fantastic news. And, you know, Hurley was really riding him in practice. He said, and he, you know, he's like, he said, he called it a career defining and pivotal moment, which is kind of a big word for, for him. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's a, it's a lot to take in. And I think he really answered the call and I've been really impressed with his energy and, you know, his play off, um, you know, playing as a starter, you know, coming off, you know, a five game stretch where he was literally just felt invisible on the court, you know, and he, in these three games, he just, you know, really showcased what UConn fans have been clamoring for since his injury where, you know, his freshman year he had that torn Achilles tendon. It just seems like he hasn't been as, you know, energetic, as consistent. Um, and I think it's, it's great for UConn because now they have a more consistent, um, Cook off the bench, his minutes were dwindling before the injuries. You know, he was going from 17, 18 minutes a game to five in the last two games um, before Sonogo and Martin went out. And then now he's gotten the chance to start. He's, he's shown a lot. And I think one of the things I really liked about Cook was in the St. Bonaventure game, after the, the game against West Virginia, um, Hurley said he wished he took, you know, a, took a, a three that he had that would have, um, you know, I think been a good chance for them. And Cook is shooting 61% from three, which is the best by the team. He doesn't take a lot of threes, but I would love to see him step into more threes just to keep the defense honest. Um, and even if you shoot 40% or 35%, it just gives another threat on the floor. If there's open threes, take it. And in the same Bonaventure game, he did that. He shot two threes. He made both of them. And, and that's something that's going to be great for UConn that struggles typically scoring-wise, um, which I think is, is awesome to have that. This thing. Whaley seems like he's getting his offense in the form. He looked pretty good against St. Bonaventure. Hawkins, you know, he's he's the most interesting player to watch on that team because every time you watch the game, he's up and down. He's really a freshman. Um, he's very green. He had a, a rough shooting stretch where he, he missed 13 straight shots between West Virginia and the St. Bonaventure game. And then it's like the floodgates open after he mid-range jumper. He had a, he won an 8-2 run in two and a half minutes, um, helped put the game away for the men's team. And, and, you know, I think, you know, like just watching the UConn men's basketball team, like, you know, seeing them offensive. And I think this is going to be such a key, key opportunity to kind of showcase how um, much better the offense could be if they can get a consistent Hawkins, a consistent a Cook, and, and potentially even Andre Jackson going more often. Because then you're not just so reliant on Sunogo post-ups. You're not reliant on RJ Cole taking these tough, tough shots that he's had to take. And, and you know, I think in those three games, there's been times where RJ's just given the ball and, and he's got to make something happen. And, and sometimes he has these clutch, amazing shots. And then sometimes he's just, you know, taking these shots that you're like, I wish somebody else took that shot, but everyone's kind of hesitant and doesn't have, um, I think the belief in themselves that they can score as much as Cole does. And, and he's had a rough stretch, you know, he's shooting 32% from the field. Um, and, and, and even this season, he hasn't been shooting as well from the field as possible. But I think with Sonoga and Martin slowly coming back, I think Martin, is getting most likely back to the Providence game. Sonogo has a chance, but I think just from reading the tea leaves, it seems like he might be back for the Xavier game or post New Year's. I'm not quite sure. We'll have to see. Um, but I, I think, you know, coming out, you know, just big takeaway. I think this UConn team should be 
happy with the way they played with Martin and Sonogo out. Um, their offense seems like it has more dimensions to it just because of the increased offensive roles. Um, what I'd love to see from this UConn team is just make the three-pointers. It's literally seven three-pointers a game. If they make those, they're going to win the game. They're 9-0 when they make seven or more. They're 0-2 uh, when they make less than seven. So it's literally like if they don't shoot three of 21 like West Virginia, which was literally a three-point game, lost. If they'd made one more three, you know, you're looking at a team that, you know, would have scored, you know, tied up the game or even just a three there and then another two somewhere. It's So it's like just the margins. Like this team is, you know, not to sound like, hey, they could be 10-0, and but they could be – or sorry, 11-0, but they could be 11-0, you know. Like they're 9-2. Um, they drop in the rankings because of West Virginia loss. I think it was kind of a steep drop, but I think it's more because of all the other teams, the way they played, um, more so than just the way UConn is. And obviously, I don't expect the voters to watch every single game and minutia of everything. Um, so I, I don't think it's that, you know, terrible of a drop. But I, I'm excited to see how they play against Providence. Providence got 57 votes in the poll. Um, you know, so they're a good formidable team. The Big East play is going to be a great test for them. You know, hopefully Martin comes back against Providence game. Sonobo comes back soon. And uh, I think just overall, I mean, you know, like I like what I've seen from the team. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing for them is if they can get Hawkins going and Cook and uh, Jackson more on offense, I think they're going to be a deep tournament team. Yeah, they're such an intriguing team. Um, just, I mean, we talked about it with Alex, but you know, the balance this team has, um, obviously it's kind of shifted as, you know, Sonogo um, was kind of a key part of their offense and then got hurt and then RJ Cole had to do more and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think you're spot on about like what Hawkins can bring to this team. And um, it's really going to be interesting. I mean, he has plenty of time to kind of figure that out. And I think Big East play, I mean, I'm sure, um, you know, as a basketball fan, I don't have to tell you, but like Biggie's play is just so intense too. And so like, he's going to do a lot of growing up. I feel like in the next few months, it's, it's so funny. Cause it's so different than the women, like the women's like, okay, now they're playing all their good teams, but yeah, for the men, like Biggie stretch is so brutal. So even like a DePaul, which I think, you know, last year was like, they were terrible. Like DePaul's good now. And, um, it's just going to be really fascinating to see how they deal with some of these, um, you know, really, really tough league games, but um, they were battle tested, I think, in Atlantis. Um, and that was, you know, Hawkins was battle tested too, specifically in Atlantis. Like, I, I, I can't wait for like, if he like makes like a, um, you know, the, the dagger three or a game winning three down the stretch of the March, you know, of March or of April or whatever that I'm always going to think back to that turnover he had at the end of the Auburn game that like could have cost them the game, but didn't. And I'm like, that's going to be the moment you know, like he learned from there and then he like got his, you know, got everything together and, and now he's like saving them. And um, so I'm holding on to that. You should too, as the beat writer, but um, yeah, no, I just, I think it's really exciting to see like where they're going to go. So um, I'm also, I think Tyrese is just such a huge part of what makes them go. So that's, um, that's going to be huge for them to get him back. So I think assuming he can get back and then seeing how Sonogo continues to develop, I think we've talked about how he, could add more dimension to his game. Um, that will be really fascinating to watch once they both get back. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's just a lot to be excited about if you're a UConn fan on both ends of the spectrum. I think, you know, obviously expectations need to be shifted on the women's side a little bit. The men's side, I think maybe 
there's a little bit of a hype building up, I think, just because of the way they've played. So it's, it's interesting dimensions on both sides. Um, but I, I think, you know, this, this UConn men's team is going to have a fun stretch of games where they play Big East. I think, I, I don't know if I remember correctly, but there's not a single team under 500 in the Big East play right now so far that, before Big East play has started. So I think, you know, you, like you said, there isn't a lot of uh, bad opponents in the Big East. And I think it's going to be, um, you know, they're probably going to lose some games that they should be winning. And they're probably going to win some games that they, um, weren't expected to win. And I think that's just the growing pains of a young team. And, you know, one of the, the great things Hurley has done with the squad is he's built this defensive-minded team. And unlike his previous teams, like the Book Knight team, I think he, uh, the Book Knight team, I think he has much more of a, I think he likes his team a lot more than last year's team. Just the way he talks about it, the way he mentions the score, I think he likes the dimensions of the offense. Um, I think he likes the fact, he, he loves Hawkins. He really, really loves Hawkins. I think he loves Hawkins as, demeanor he loves Hawkins passion um I think he's the x factor for the, the team I mean Hawkins's play could be the you know difference between UConn making a title run and them getting out in the sweet 16 or earlier I really do think he is that good of a dimensional scorer I think one thing that I've taken away is I wish Hurley would trust Diggins more but that's because I've become a big Diggins uh, fan as you know UConn's ball handling issues have kind of come to surface um, and I'm a little afraid if, like, you know, we talked about earlier, like if, if RJ Cole twists an ankle, God forbid, uh, what happens? Who takes the ball up? I mean, they, they have Andre Jackson, but I just, I just feel like, you know, I don't understand why he's not getting any minutes. And I, I'm curious to see what happens with that because, you know, he seems to trust the other freshmen more. I mean, Samson's getting some play. Hawkins obviously gets to work through his mistakes and stuff like that. Um, what's going on at practice that Diggins is not getting any minutes? He said you know, Diggins and, and Samson would get more minutes. And Diggins played a little bit, and then he's been DNP, DNP the last two games. As we know from the UConn women, you can never have enough point guards on your team. Um, so that's a little, and, you know, the tough part is they played all these mid-majors, um, and he didn't really get that much time. And so now he's, we're going into Big East play. So it's like on more, it's less likely that he'll get time now. And well, again, like we don't see what's going on in practice. We don't see how like, maybe he's like totally in over his head as, you know, sometimes it happens for a freshman, but yeah, I, I, that's what we were talking about. I think on Saturday or something, I was like, yeah, what happens if RJ Cole gets hurt? Cause like, I don't know. I don't think Andre Jackson's quite ready for that. That's not like really the role he should be in. So hopefully they don't have to have point guard issues like the women have. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think this, you know, both sides men and women's are going to be so much fun to watch and arrow as cohesive units. I mean, they have, the injuries have been a blessing in disguise for the men's side. And I think even the women's side, they might be too. I mean, I know UConn fans don't want to see losses on, you know, the schedule, but, you know, uh, I think you have to look at the process of things. You know, I, I hate to, to use the 76ers motto here, but you got to trust the process a little bit. And um, I think Hurley is trusting the process with Hawkins. He's trusting the process with the team. Um, I'd love to see a little more Andre Jackson cuts on offense because just because he's a disgustingly good athlete, um, NBA level uh, athlete on the team. Um, and I think they should just let him go to work at the rim. Like, I mean, obviously his foul shooting needs a little bit of work, but um, I'd love for him to just get some easy buckets and rain to go to the rim, clear out, let it, set a ball screen and just let him go to work. Uh, but that's my armchair analysis as a beat writer. Uh, obviously really knows a lot better than me. Um, but yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see where both teams go and um, how they respond to adversity. I think the men's team has done a pretty good job, and this will be a great test for the UConn men's side 
on Saturday against Providence. And, you know, I, I'm sure that the streak of two games lost might be tested on the women's side this year. It's going to be. A- oh, God. Yeah, that's going to be. A- well, it's interesting because I don't think. So say they lose to Louisville, then I think they play Marquette next. That's like a tough Big East game. So that could be tested. Uh, I actually, I'm going to have a hot take in here. I, wa- I watched Louisville this weekend. I think UConn, like, I don't think UConn, like, will get blown out by them. Unless UConn is, like, kind of just a mental, like, you know, like, they're just so mentally out of it, or it's, like, a dumpster fire to start. I don't think Louisville is unbeatable. This is not, like, a, they're not playing, like, another South Carolina. I don't even think they're playing, like, a team as good as NC State or anything like that. So, like, I just want to say if they end up beating Louisville, it would not surprise me. Also, if they end up losing, it's, like, okay, well, yeah, it's not shocking either, but um, Louisville is the, the key to me, so not to go back to the women too much, but the key to me is offensive execution. Cause Louisville has a good defense. So it's going to be another tough test. Like, I don't know if I would say that they play a similar defense to Georgia's tech, but if you think about some of those same issues, um, you know, you had trouble executing on offense against them. That's going to be the key to me is like, you has to execute and maybe get on transition if they can, but. I just wanted to like say it for the record, like in case it happens, in case like UConn like shocks everyone and wins, I wouldn't be like Alexa kind of was on to that. But if they lose, then I'll also have I'm also hedging it in that like oh yeah, like I also kind of called that too. So no, no, I like it. I think that's the way to go. Hot take isn't quite as hot, but if it is, if it does work out, then I'll be like I'll be like, wow, Alexa called on the podcast. We'll just ignore the fact that you also said it. they could possibly lose. Yes, <laughs> um, you basically say every possibility, and then you're never wrong. Exactly, exactly. I feel like that's the, the gambler's policy there. But uh, yeah. Uh, well, that was uh, a good, fun one. We guys, uh, we got you in here with um, Alex Petterman too. We'll, we'll continue that that fun history segment. Um, as mm-hmm. Shreyas and I are always, you know, eager to learn more about uh, all the Yukon history. But thank you all for tuning in. Um, we'll be back more with more updates soon after the Yukon men start Big East play, the U- women um, play Louisville and then, uh, get a little bit of Biggie's play in as well. So happy holidays. If we don't talk to you soon and thank you again for listening. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to this Hartford current Yukon insider podcast. And thanks as always to our sponsor, Riscassi and Davis.